to you um, Chester Kilstra. Um, he is from a ministry called Restoring the Foundations. How many of you heard us speak of Restoring the Foundations? Okay. All right. Yes, this is for tithes and offerings. Yeah. yeah I'll talk about that in a second. This is tithes and offerings, guys. Um, Restoring the Foundations is a ministry that's based in North Carolina, um, in Hendersonville. Is that right? And it is basically a, a healing, deliverance ministry, restoration ministry, where people, individuals, and couples go um, to allow the Lord to minister to the traumas and hurts in their life, to, to deal with ungodly thought patterns and lies and accusations of the enemy, to bring restoration back to people so that they can walk in the fullness of what God has for them. Now, we, we, I spoke last week and said that we are serious about our core value as a church about restoration back to original design, body, soul, and spirit. The first step in restoration is being born again, your spirit being born again. But then there are things in your soul that need to be touched by God, healing to come, so that you can embrace and encounter the fullness of everything that God has for you that Jesus provided at his, the, his death, burial, and resurrection. The neat thing about that is that how many of you know that businesses and organizations are in and of themselves living organisms? And that a church is a living thing, amen? And so we engaged restoring the foundations to come in to deal with Harvest Renewal Church as a living organization, to deal with its ungodly beliefs and its past and everything else. And let me tell you, it was powerful, powerful, very powerful. And, um, and I know that there's a little disconnect because many of you weren't able to be a part of that, and, and we didn't plan for you to be a part of that. But we are letting you know that we as a leadership team are backing up our core value by demonstrating it and dealing with it and saying we're going to embrace restoration. And in addition to that, we are going to be partnering with Restoring the Foundations and we're planning to bring them back in to even begin ministering and teaching and here in this house about their ministry, how to operate in this, how to do this, how to receive that so that we can, we can embrace all that God has for us as a people. Amen? Amen. So I want, to, I want to welcome you. Uh, I'm going to, sorry. I want, to welcome, I want to welcome Chester, but I want to let you know, we are going to take up a love offering at the end of the service. I want to, be, want to make, that a, make you aware of that so that you can pray. This is an offering. This is seed. You're going to sow into restoration. So I'd encourage you, pray and ask the Lord, how do you want me to sow into restoration? And that money will go to, to the honorarium for this morning, and, and we want to bless, bless Chester. Amen? Okay. So uh, without further ado, Chester Kilster, please come and join us. Well, good morning. Thank you. Appreciate that warm welcome. And uh, you honored me with that, but you all know I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jesus. So I just pass that honor on to Jesus. Thank you for welcoming me. And I love being loved, so you can love me as much as you want to in the love offering. And um, Betsy and I frequently travel. And um, by the way, my wife is Betsy. She would love to be here this morning, but she's not. She, 
She's at home, and she said, uh, you can go and be with him on Mother's Day. That's all right. So she gave you that, that gave herself to you that way. But uh, we have this little joke. We like to say um, we travel a lot for love offering, and some places have loved us a lot, and some have not loved us hardly at all. <laughs> and, uh, and it sort of averages out. You know, God takes care of us. And uh, so anyway, whatever you want to do, you, you and the Lord decide. Um, but it's uh, been very much a special thing for me to be here with uh, the uh, you leaders this weekend. Uh, we do minister to individuals, and uh, for about 10 years now, we've been ministering to organizations. And uh, uh, that's not my message this morning, so I'll say a little bit about it right this minute, that, uh, that God has on his heart a purpose for every organization. When I, I use the word organization to cover every group of people that's more than one, okay? So a marriage is an organization. You okay with that? Uh, a small uh, business, you know, owner business, one or two, three people, that's an organization. And we all have a destiny. We all have a purpose. We may be not totally clear on what it is. We may need to find out. But God's got a purpose, and we need to find out because then we can more fully engage and cooperate with God on it. But the devil doesn't want us to fulfill our purpose. I don't know. You may or may not believe in a demon or a devil or a personal devil. But uh, I like to say I grew up in eastern Oregon, cowboy country. We never talked about demons there. We talked about the wheat. We talked about the weather. And we talked about the cattle. Can you tone me down just a tiny bit, please? Um, we talked about those three things. And um, nothing about Jesus, nothing about God, except occasionally in vain. And, uh, and we didn't have demons as part of our culture. I now understand that they were there anyhow. <laughs> and they were doing their dirty work anyhow, even though we were totally ignorant. And so, anyway, I'm, I'm much better now understanding how to keep the enemy out of my life, whereas in Eastern Oregon we didn't do that. We just wondered why things happened, why there were problems. So, anyway, let's get in with the PowerPoint. I'm not sure you can see the PowerPoint. Can you do that adequately? Everybody okay? All right, because most of what I have is on the PowerPoint. I like to be visual as well as vocal. So anyway, our ministry is Restoring the Foundations, Chester and Betsy Kilstra, and the website is restoringthefoundations.org if you want to find out more. Uh, here's a little joke. Church of the Cross. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> now, we're laughing, and that's okay, but it's sort of a sad laugh, isn't it? Like, oh my, this, it shouldn't be this way. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but just think a minute. Have you ever been wounded in a church? In fact, as we minister to many people, I would say probably much of their adult wounding occurs in a church. Because hurt people hurt people. Wounded leaders wound the congregation. Wounded congregation hurts the leaders. We minister a lot of what we call sheep-bit pastors. Okay. I mean, it goes both ways, folks, and we need to get our, get our hearts healed so that we can 
engage in what God's got for us and pursue it. Go for it. So, you know, I feel a little sorry for this United Methodist Church. I'm sure their hearts were right, you know. <laughs> but they didn't know they were putting out this double message here. So anyway, let's help, let's help all of us get healed. Okay? Okay, so we have an incredible privilege. I was a, an engineer for many years, uh, software, other kinds. And Betsy was a mental health worker in our midlife. God, in his infinite wisdom, decided he wanted us in the ministry. And we fought him for three years. Not, it didn't make any sense to us. Why would God want us in the ministry? He had many better people to choose from. You all know that, right? Sort of like Moses saying, God send Aaron. I mean, we didn't realize we were falling into that same uh, pattern. But anyway, we're all like that. And we finally gave up, and I won't tell you what was the tipping point. Don't have time for that. But um, but we finally read First uh, Corinthians chapter two, and it says in there, you know, God uses the foolish to confound the wise, the weak to confound the strong, and He goes on in that vein. And we finally figured out we qualified. <laughs> you know, we were the foolish, we were the weak, we we were incredibly wounded. We needed the ministry that we now have. And, and God healed us, and as he did that, he showed us how to receive his healing. And now we get to go around the world helping people do that. So if you don't know how to receive God's healing, pay attention, okay? Not just this morning, because I'm not going to talk that much about it, but, uh, but most Christians don't know how to receive God's healing, even though it's part of our birthright. It's part of our inheritance. It's, in many places, you get born again, and, and then you just sit in the pew the rest of your life because they don't know what to do next. What do you do after you get born again? Well, that's like coming through the door. Then there's this whole journey for the whole rest of your life that's out there, but most of us are stuck because of our wounding. So anyway, we have this amazing revelation, and many people are joining us. In fact, uh, we have Dick and Joan right here this morning. I want you to just stand up for a moment. Come on. Yay. These are Scott's parents and Lisa's parents, but um, uh, God has joined many people to us now. We come together under what we call the Healing House Network and are taking this message to God's world. So anyway, let me just tell you briefly what it is. All of us have four sources of wounding, includes you, okay, every one of us. This was the revelation. God one day said, we all have them, and then there's a special part of it. Forgiveness, of course, underlies everything. But all of us are born into a family. If you were born into a family, raise your hand. Okay. Well, sometimes, you know, I get some people that were hatched or whatever. But, okay, everybody here has got a mother and a father. We're honoring you mothers today. Bless you. And, uh, and so we inherit our ancestral stuff, the sins and curses, and the blessings. Praise the Lord for the blessings. If it wasn't for the blessings, we'd be in really big trouble. But we're in enough trouble with just the uh, curses we inherit. And this comes out of the second commandment. So Exodus 20, uh, verse 5, 6, if you want to go back and search this out afterwards, uh, it says the, for idolatry, where the sin of idolatry is involved, the iniquities of the fathers and the mothers are passed on to the children for three or four generations. 
And so all of us inherit the iniquities of those three or four generations that went before us. How about that? The good and the bad. We get it all. And, um, and so Jesus came so we could be saved from that. So he came, and we know now how to receive his healing, remove that pressure to sin. Uh, ungodly beliefs, we need to get our minds renewed. Paul writes in Romans 12, to be no longer conformed to this world, be, ye re- be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's given us a very fast way to identify the lies we believe and to change them into God's truth and to have our minds renewed. We need to think like God if we're going to be his sons and daughters. Uh, we all have wounded hearts. We grow up, grow up in imperfect families. We get hurt by our parents, by our siblings. We get hurt. And uh, God knew that. So in Luke 4:18, Jesus said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. Now, you may not think your heart's broken, but I bet you I can find some tears in it, some scabs, right? Maybe some places where it's been uh, chipped off a little bit. <laughs> Maybe not broken, literally. But to whatever degree our hearts have been wounded through rejection and abandonment, things like that, we need to get them healed, folks. It holds us back. It causes us to not walk in faith. Fear is given place in our lives. And then the last one is the demonic takes advantage of the first three and all the place, open doors that provides, and keeps everything stirred up and tries to keep us down. The thief comes to steal kill, and destroy. And that's what he's doing in your life to the extent that you allow him to do that. But Jesus has given us a way to not allow him to do it at all. But the revelation the Lord really showed us was not just that these four sources exist, but they all support the other three. Each one holds the other three in place. And so if we really want to get healed and keep our healing, we need to deal with all four of them in a very interrelated way. And so that's what we do in restoring the foundation. And then we can walk it out and be the new person and walk that life and life more abundant that Jesus promised us. Anyway, in 2004, as our ministry kept developing, we bought a training center in Hendersonville, North Carolina, as Pastor Chip was just sharing. Our ministry actually started back around the 90s, but... uh, we had prophetic words about a training center, and we bought Echo Mountain Inn in Hendersonville, North Carolina. It looks like this, sort of an old English inn, built in 1896, which I understand is the same year this building was built. Okay? So we've uh, had to do a little renovation on that. Here's one of our rooms, English room. We are a bed and breakfast open to the public. And then hidden is our ministry inside that bed and breakfast. <laughs> And people come, and they stay in the inn, and they receive ministry. People come from all over the world. It's really quite amazing. Been there, what, nine years now? And, um, and then in the winter, we do our training. People come for one week, two weeks, four weeks. Some stay as long as five months and get raised up to the Healing House Network level. So we train church teams, and we train Healing House level people. So anyway, it's a nice place. A lot of people are there having fun. Uh, We're in a recreational area. This is uh, about a half hour away to DuPont State Forest. Uh, Beautiful waterfalls. So you can come and have a good time. You don't just have to get healed. If you want 
They wanted to do it. And for you, for you ladies, we have a historic downtown Hendersonville, which is a great shopping area. So anyway, let me get into the message for this morning. Let's see. It's only 9:29 in in Denver. So, so we got lots of time yet. Okay. Let's get into the message for today, and I want to ask you two questions. Who are you, and whose are you? Now, just think a minute. Do I know the answers to those questions? Who am I, and whose am I? Because probably the biggest struggle all of us have is with identity, you know. And, and then this whole issue of abandonment is major in the human race. And so the, so the opposite of that is belonging. Whose am I? Who do I belong to? So the whole issue of identity and belonging is incredible. We run into that almost always as we're ministering to people and helping them get healed out of the stuff that's uh, holding them back. So uh, we might even say, and does it really matter, you know? Does it matter whether you know who you are? Or whose you are? Is that important? Hmm, you're all looking at me like I'm asking you trick trick questions. (laughs) If I dare answer, I'm going to get in trouble. Well, I'm more provoking you right now. I I want you to think about this, you know. Who am I and whose am I? Because I want you by the end of this service to know the answer to those two questions with no doubt in your heart, okay? I want you to know who you are and whose you are. Well, it's not even me. God wants you to know that, right? Because he loves you. He loves me. He wants us to know these things. Because if we know them, then we're going to get on our road of destiny and we're not going to look back, folks. The lack of knowing these things is what holds us back. Okay. So you ready? Now, this is a cooperative thing. I expect reaction from the audience here, okay? So, let's start out with who we are. We are, da-da, we're going to fill in the blank here. Let's start here in Hebrews. I know that's a lot of text up there, but I want to impress you that when you're reading through Hebrews 12, and you come down this verse 22, and we suddenly hit this whole long passage of, you have come, okay? You have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come. keeps going on. You get down to 23, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come. You've come. Da-da-da. And you sort of get almost overwhelmed with the number of different examples that are there, right? And it's it's like, well, it's nice. I'm glad I've come to all these places. but, But what's it mean? You know, what's the significance? And then, you, you know, we have to read a chapter a day, so we've got to keep going, right? We don't, we don't really have time to just ponder, ponder this. So what I want to do is go into the middle of this and pick out one phrase. You have come to the church of the firstborn. Now, when I was in Bible college, which is beginning to be a few years ago now, um, that hit me one day. I have come to the church of the firstborn. And I had a whole, almost two-thirds of a page in my Bible that was blank, because that's where Hebrew stopped. And I started recording every verse in the Bible that had to do with the firstborn. And it turned out to be a whole bunch of them. And over the years, I'd keep reading my Bible, and 
oh, here's another verse. Look at that. You know, it wouldn't maybe have the word firstborn, but it was clear in context. That's what it was about. So I add that. And then about just a few years ago, the Lord said to me, it's time to make a message out of this. So that's what you're getting today is this message. This thing has been brewing for years. And he says, this is the season. I want my people to know who they are and whose they are. Okay? So we've come to the first church of the firstborn. I wonder what that means. Okay? Let's keep going. So this is who we are. We are members of the church of the firstborn, whether you know what that means or not. That's part of your identity. We belong to... We're going to flesh that out, by the way. We belong to, and let's go back to the Passover. Everybody remember the Passover, right? Celebrated it just a little while back. So this is Egypt. Um, um, God finally responded to the cries of his people, sent Moses. Moses kept going to Pharaoh, saying, let my people go, right? God says, let my people go. Pharaoh would say, no. So another plague. And every one of the plagues came against one of the gods of Egypt. And we work our way up to the tenth plague. The Bible says God keeps hardening Pharaoh's heart. So he'll say no because he wants to demonstrate and put in place this whole thing of the tenth plague, which was the curse against the firstborn. Because one of the gods of Egypt is the firstborn son of Pharaoh. And then he becomes the new Pharaoh. He's the God. He has a son. That firstborn son is the next God. Isn't that convenient to be able to just delegate gods that way? And that's an affront to, to the true and living God. And so he brought these curses against all the gods. And finally, we work our way up this last one. And then he says to the Israelites, you know, prepare a lamb, put the blood on the lintel doorpost. Uh, and, uh, and the Passover lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb will cause the death angel to go on by and stay in your houses all night long, you know? So you're under the covering of the Passover lamb, which is symbolic of the Lord Jesus and our Passover lamb. So the death angel kills the firstborn son of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh finally says, Go. And so they go. It also says they spoiled the Egyptians. They took their gold and silver, and they went out wealthy. They went out, in a sense, pay for all those years of slavery. So this is important. We're answering the question now, whose are you, right? Don't forget that. So let's look at where this gets summarized in numbers. Now, Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus relates all the gory details of the of that time period in the Passover. But here in Numbers, as we're getting ready, close to the time we're going to the Promised Land, Moses summarizes what went on. So we're some 30, maybe 38 years later. So God's talking to Moses, and he says, They, the Levites, are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to me. I've taken them as my own in place of the firstborn, first male offspring from every Israelite woman. Every firstborn male in Israel, whether man or animal, is mine. 
When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set them apart for myself. And I've taken the Levites in place of all the firstborn sons of Israel. Okay, let me unravel that for you. God, because all the firstborn were killed back at the time of the Passover, God said those who survived, who were under the covering of the Passover lamb, they're mine. Because if it hadn't been for me, they would have died. Got that? So God made a deal, a contract. It was sort of one-sided, but it was a contract nevertheless, right? He dictated a contract. But now he's changing the terms of the contract. Here we are, you know, 38 years later. He says, I'll tell you what, folks. Instead of taking all the firstborn sons of all 12 tribes, I think I'll rewrite the contract just a little bit. And instead, I'll just take all the Levites. And you other 11 tribes, you can keep your sons. All right? But just to make sure it was fair, he had a census taken. And he had all the firstborn sons counted in all 12 tribes. Everybody know what that was? The Bible tells us what the count was. I'm sure you memorized that. I mean, <laughs> well, I have an advantage on you. I've read it recently, okay? 22,273. <laughs> See? Bible scholars, you know, you they know that kind of thing. I bet if I asked Rifle, he would know too exactly what it was, right? Okay, 22,273. I love it when God gets exact. You know, you know he's communicating something to us when he nitty, gritty detail, right? And then he had all of the sons of the Levites counted. Firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn. However, if you're a son, you get counted. Make sense? Everybody with me. How many were there of those? 22,000, It's hard to believe it came out exactly 22,000, but that's what the Bible says. Okay? You know what God did? Well, first of all, it's almost equal, right? It's only 273 off. So he takes all of the Levites, leaves the other 11 tribes with their people, their tribe. But he, you know what he does? He makes them pay for the extra... The 273 have to be bought back from God. He makes them pay five gold shekels, temple measure. And he funded the Levites with that. Hmm. I think he's teaching us the principle of redemption. Buying back. How about you? Are you redeemed? Have you been redeemed? Are you bought with a price? Amen. So we're getting an early picture of that concept here. And that God highly values the redemption. You know? Fascinating, isn't it? It's not the main point of the story, but it's like a little side plot that's interesting here. So that's it. God takes the Levites. So who do the Levites belong to? He even says it, doesn't he? Every firstborn male is mine. I've taken them as my own. Sounds like ownership to me, doesn't it to you? The Levites are owned by God. So let's come on to modern-day world, this side of the cross. 
who are the Levites, not physical, but spiritual Levites, in God's kingdom now? I'm getting all kinds of answers, but most of them seem to be us, the body of Christ, right? The church of the firstborn. So are you a priest? Okay, you've been reading your Bible, I can tell. Let me just prove it to you, though. It's always good to have a scripture, right? Here's First Peter. By the way, it's in a number of places. I just picked one scripture here. First Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's what a priest does, right? Two-way mediation between God and people. And part of that includes worshiping him. We did that this morning. I thought it was pretty good worship. I enjoyed it. Did you? Way to go, Jason. Good. You did it. Wonderful. So we demonstrated our priesthood this morning, actually. Good. Okay. So I hope you're getting convinced. We belong to Father God. We're his chosen people, priests to our God. And so God claims all firstborn sons. Let's keep going. How many firstborn sons can there be in a natural family? You and I, our children. We're celebrating Mother's Day Day today. How many firstborn sons can you have? One. Okay, how many can God have? How many firstborn sons can God have? You're giving me the right answer. You're doing it well. As many as he wants. Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? Now let me prove that to you. I want to to do that. We become a firstborn... Yeah, I'm going to do a little side trip here. Well, actually, it's a main trip. We become a firstborn son of God by, through Jesus, we can do that. And here's John 1. He came into his own. His own received him not. But as many as did receive him... To them he gave power, and the Greek there really is the right or the authority, to become the sons of God. Them that believed in his name were born not of blood, well of flesh, but of God. So that's why we had an invitation a little bit ago to be born again. And let me tell you, if you don't know whether you're born again or not, if you haven't had that incorruptible seed come into your spirit, where your spirit was born in. Don't leave today until you take care of that. Because all this stuff I'm talking about doesn't apply to you until you get born again. That's the, that's the doorway through which we come. Okay, I'm sure we got lots of good leadership team and elders and people here who will make sure that you're, you're, you're sure of who you are and whose you are. Okay, Because until we belong to God, we belong to the devil. Just a little side note there. But uh, it's pretty serious stuff. But Jesus made the way in order to be a son of God. All right. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. So we have to become, we become a firstborn son by receiving Jesus. Amen. Good. So let's make sure we know what Jesus' status is. Yeah, he's son of God, but let's look at that a little bit more. And here's one example, Psalm 89 He will call out to me, this is God speaking, talking about Jesus. He will call out to me, you are my Father, my God, the rock of my Savior. 
I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. So God chooses to appoint Jesus as his firstborn. You maybe hadn't thought how this process worked in the past, but God can appoint Jesus. He can do anything he wants to do, right? We all know that. So this is where it started. And then just a few more verses. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You notice how this word firstborn keeps popping up here. Firstborn over all creation, firstborn of God's sons. Here's another one, John 3.16. We all know this one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It would not corrupt this scripture at all to say he gave his one and only firstborn son. There's another one. Now, this is one where you and I can really get excited about, okay? Romans 8:29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the likeness of his son. That's the whole healing process, sanctification process. So that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, we could say he would be the first, firstborn of many firstborn sons of God. That's really what's going on here. These different scriptures, they all bring in different nuances of it. Jesus is the first firstborn. You and I come along later, but we're also firstborn sons. Now, by the way, you ladies, are you doing okay with being a firstborn son? Yeah. You okay with that? <laughs> I like, you know, you know the joke, we men have to get comfortable being the bride of Christ, you know. And you, you ladies, you get firstborn. We're talking about status now, right? This is not gender issue. This is a, what is your legal and spiritual status in the kingdom of God? Or in the world. Well, I mean, you could take it anywhere, right? Who are you and whose are you? What's your identity? What's your legal status? And who do you belong to? That's what we're after, right? Firstborn among many brethren in the King James. So that's Jesus' status, the first firstborn son. I love it. Now, can the secondborn ever be the firstborn? Or the thirdborn, or the fourthborn, or the whatever? I've been leading you up to this. So I've already heard one yes. How about the rest of you? You agree? You think the secondborn could be the firstborn? Well, I love to prove this to you, right? I don't want you to just take my word for it. So let's look at that. When is the second born? Let's start out with Abraham. Started out life as Abram. God changed his name to Abraham, father of many nations. And uh, did Abraham have any children? Who was his first child? Ishmael. Was he the firstborn son? Was he the child of promise? No. Who was the child of promise? Isaac. The second born got the blessing, right? The second born was designated, designated, hear that word again? Just like Jesus was designated. He was designated the one with the rights of the firstborn, and you'll find out what that means in a minute. So we have Isaac then as the firstborn. Legally, spiritually, status-wise. Now, how about Isaac? Did he have any children? Who was his firstborn? See, I'm giving you a little Bible quiz now. I'm 
testing your knowledge, seeing how you're doing. Esau was his firstborn son, right? The hairy one. Ta-da. A man of the field. Yeah. Who was the second born? Jacob. Who got the blessing? Did he get it legally? little trickery involved here, right? Between the mother and the son, we got a little something going on here. But he got it. And I think God wanted him to have it. Why do you want him? We'll talk about that in a minute. So Jacob, who later became known as Israel, right? After wrestling with God. Jacob. Did Jacob have any children? Had a bunch, didn't he? He had a covey. He had a whole herd of them. I mean, how many sons? Who was the firstborn son? There we go. You are Bible scholars. Good. This is great. Reuben was the firstborn. What did Reuben do? He defiled his father's bed, right? And lost the rights of the firstborn. Who ended up with the rights of the firstborn? Joseph. Which number was he in the... Number 11. Benjamin came after him, yeah. Very good. And there was at least one daughter, we know of Diana, and there probably were more. So, so jo- uh, Jacob was very productive, right? He and his four wives. So, um, so let's put Joseph up there. Now, Joseph, of course, uh, his brothers were all jealous of him, right? So he, he goes for a little vacation down in Egypt and uh, spends some time there in Potiphar's house and, and in the prison. You all remember the story. And then gets elevated as prime minister and ends up saving his family. Little, you know, took a little back and forth there. But eventually his family comes. And uh, meanwhile, Joseph has a wife, an Egyptian wife. And does he have any uh, sons? Who is the first one? Anybody know? It's getting quieter the further we go here. (laughs) You were really loud at the beginning. (laughs) Slowly getting quieter and quieter. The firstborn of Joseph was Manasseh. And the secondborn was Ephraim. Who got the blessing? Oops. Ephraim got the blessing. You can even remember he was having uh, Jacob bless his children. Joseph was having Jacob bless his children. Jacob was near blind, very old. And Jacob crossed his hands, remember, because Joseph had very carefully put uh, Manasseh here for Joseph's right hand, or for Jacob's right hand. And Jacob did that, and Joseph tried to get him to correct. He said, no, no, this one will be great, but this one's going to be greater. And he gave the blessing of the firstborn to the secondborn. So what do we got here? We got one, two, three, where the secondborn gets the blessing of the firstborn, and one where the eleventh gets the blessing of the firstborn. Now, why'd God do that? I mean, come on now. I'm an engineer. I like to figure out how God designed the universe. And and these, these puzzles are in the Bible. Like, what's God communicating to us? He wants us to search it out. What's it say in Deuteronomy? You know, it's the pleasure of 
Let's see. I don't have it quite right. Pleasure of God to hide things or see, and uh, and the pleasure of kings to seek it out. I'm not, I corrupted that pretty well. But the message is, it's okay for us to try to understand how God designed the universe. Like he gave us this huge puzzle and we get to work on it, you know. The pieces slowly coming together one by one. So why did God have all these second born people and one of them 11th born be in his chosen family line and carefully recorded in the Bible? Why did he do that? What's he want you and I to get out of this? Well, you have to be born again, but now we're talking about the rights of the firstborn, the status. I'll put it this way. I'll say you. I think this is it. He wants you, he wants you to accept in your heart that even you can be God's firstborn son. Even I can be God's firstborn son. Now, you may look at me up here and say, oh, well, he's this teacher and he's got this ministry and, you know, he deserves to be a firstborn. No, folks, you didn't know me back then before God began to heal us. He'll take any of us, however messed up we are, and designate us as his firstborn son. I don't know about you, but that just thrills me. That's like, wow. You and I can just relax, you know. We don't have to do anything to earn the fact that that's who God's appointed us to be. It takes a lot of load off. I don't, we minister lots of people who are still trying to work to please God. Well, yeah, it's good to please God. Good to have Bible disciplines. Those, those are good. But not for the sake of earning our place in the kingdom, folks, because it doesn't work. This is not a kingdom of works. Well, we don't earn our place by work. We get the fun of doing the work. That's different, you know. I'm going to show you a scripture on that in just a minute. But, but it's like, huh, okay. God wants me to be his firstborn son? All right. I can do that. All I have to do is exist, okay? I just have to be. It's not do. I was so amazed the time I learned that I'm not that we humans are not called human doings. <laughs> We're not. We're called human beings. We just be. And that's all God asks us to be. Well, we do have to accept Jesus. We've got one very important decision we have to make. And after that, we're appointed. I mean, isn't that, isn't that mind-blowing? It's amazing. So, anyway, let's keep going because we've got a few more good things here. And, again, it's still only 9 o'clock. And why? Okay. The right of the firstborn. Firstborn sons have rights. We need to know what they are. If you're one, you ought to know, Right? Let's go find out. Well, here's a not a very happy story in Deuteronomy. And I'm not going to focus on the story. It's about a man with two wives, and he liked one and didn't like the other. Have we heard that before in the Bible? Anyway, the firstborn of the first wife, he, he didn't like the first wife. So he's trying to give the secondborn of the second wife, firstborn of the second wife, the rights. And the judge 
than to allow him to do that in this case. He must acknowledge the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. That son is the first sign of his father's strength. The right of the firstborn belongs to him. And this scripture tells us it's a double share, a double portion. The firstborn son gets a double portion. Everybody else, all the other children, get a single portion. So it works like this. If you've got five children in a family, firstborn son, he gets two portions where you take everything the father has and you divide by six, right? Five plus one, six. So all the, uh, the firstborn gets two sixths or a third, and all the other four children get one sixth. Everybody with me? If you got, say, 12 children in a family, it would be divided by 13. And the firstborn would get two thirteenths. Everybody with me? So the moral of those stories is real clear, isn't it? You want to make sure you're born into a family with a small number of children. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you get, so your share is bigger, you know. Now let's just take that on to God for a moment. How many children, firstborn children, does God have? All the born-again people, right? And how many of those? Well, the Earth's population, I think, just recently passed 7 billion by those who keep track of that stuff. Um, we know they're not all born again, right? But some large fraction. But why don't, well, let's see. Engineers are used to doing worst-case scenarios and stuff like that, you know. So I don't know if this is worst case or best case. If you want a lot of people saved, the best case is everybody gets born again. Right. If you want to have a large portion, the best that's the worst case. <laughs> a lot of people get born again. Right? So anyway, let's, let's say everybody on the earth gets born again. And let's say everybody through all past history gets born again or was born again. And let's just say that's the same number of people there are now. Do you know about half the people that have ever lived or lied now? That's what exponential growth does, folks. So say 7 billion, let's add another 7 billion for the, all the people in the past, 14 billion. And then we've got to double that for the double portion, that's 28 billion. And you're one. <laughs> one out of 28 billion shares. Oh, you're a firstborn son. You're going to get two of those. So one out of 14 billion. That makes it a lot better. Okay. Now, how much does God have? We've got to take what he has and divide it, right? Why? So how much does God have? Everything. Is he wealthy or not? Is he prosperous? Okay. So we can use the infinity sign for that. God has infinite. So if you divide infinity by 28 billion, what do you get? Oh, you all went to school. Oh, you, you studied uh, algebra. Good for you. Infinity divided by a finite number is still infinity. And then you get two infinities, right? A double portion. Now, you know, we're sort of having fun with this, but think a minute. Why are we worried about paying the electric bill at the end of the month? Why are we worried about the mortgage? Why are we worried about the homeless person who needs some help? Do you, you get, 
there's a disconnect here, folks. And that's one reason I'm telling you who you are today and convincing you of it. Because if we really get it into our heart, who we are as firstborn sons of God, and we have our inheritance, we ought to stop poor-mouthing, you know? We ought to start talking to the Father about how we can help others and what, what does it take to do that. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let's keep going here. But the right of the firstborn has to do with having a double portion. Here's, uh, here's another... Okay, the firstborn also receives. Here's an Isaiah passage. What I like about this, well, let me just do it. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. So they will inherit a double portion in the land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. So here's a trade going on, a divine exchange. God takes our shame, we get a double portion. I like that. Yeah? Yeah. Instead of disgrace, which of course is a, another way of saying it, we're going to rejoice in our inheritance. And we have a double portion. Anywhere in the Bible you read double portion, that phrase or something like it, that's firstborn son terminology. It may not say firstborn sons like here, it doesn't, but God's talking about the firstborn sons. All his people are firstborn sons, they get a double portion. And it ends up saying everlasting joy will be theirs. Don't you think we ought to be a little excited about this? Being one, just getting to have God as our daddy, but then the inheritance that he gives us to go along with the responsibilities. Let's look at that. So the firstborn also received healing from shame. Firstborn is responsible. By the way, it's not just all fun and games. We get some responsibilities. You know why the firstborn gets the double portion? So he can take care of the rest of the family if he needs to. The unmarried, uh, uh, his sisters, the unmarried daughters, uh, firstborn son's responsible for taking care of them. Being him get in trouble, have problems. He has that extra portion, so he's got more than enough for every good work. It has to do with the family. Here we have the example of Joseph now down in Egypt. And it says, uh, you know, after he revealed himself, he settled his father and brothers in Egypt, gave him property, comes on down, provided his father and his brothers, all his father's household with food. Joseph took on the responsibility of taking care of the family. Now, we've got lots of brothers and sisters out there who don't know their firstborn sons. You maybe didn't know it when you came today. Now you do. And you've got a double portion. You've got more than enough to take care of all of the other brothers and sisters while they're coming into their revelation and inheritance. By the way, this works. I like this. We do want to tithe. That sanctifies. We want to give offerings. Sowing and reaping works in the kingdom of God. Okay? But... Just our attitude of heart has to change to where we know who we are, we know whose we are, and we know that we have an infinity to draw on of provision to do what God's called us to do. There's not a lack, folks, in the kingdom of God. And you know, we have that wonderful little scripture, Romans 5.17. If God doesn't happen to have what you need right now, he can 
created. God calls those things that be not as though they are, right? He can create whatever's not here. Yeah, it's great to have a cattle on a thousand hills and all the gold and, and whatever. But if, it's, if anything's missing, you just make it, you know? So we don't want to... See, in the world, we're taught that there are limits, aren't we? That's what economics is supposed to be for, how to allocate our resources, our scarce resources, to get optimum use out of it. We even probably have a budget for the church. How do we take our scarce resources and allocate them? Oh, we're taking up an offering to build a, uh, what you call it? Not a porch, a deck out here. Great. Awesome. And it's great that people are giving to that. But any one of us could more than finance the deck because we've got an infinity to draw from. But our hearts have been trained that there's always not enough, haven't they? We grew up in our family. Daddy, I would like to have a... Sorry, son, we don't have enough money. Sorry, daughter, we don't have enough money. We've been brainwashed, folks, into adopting the economics of the world. And God wants us to get our minds renewed and think like him and know we draw on his resources. It's a huge difference. The kingdom of God runs on abundance and more abundance. kingdom of the earth runs on lack. And how are we going to get by? That's why we need our minds renewed. Yeah, let's get them renewed. The firstborn is responsible for the family. Firstborn may be with let us therefore come boldly into the throne of our Father of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When I read this, some of you are old enough to remember when John Kennedy was president. <laughs> and there was this picture that circulated around the world of little John John come running into the, into the throne room called the Oval Office and his father reaches down, picks him up, and says, Hi, how are you doing? The room's full of all these dignitaries. And the king, we call him the president, stopped for a little while and, you know, spoke to his son and then, you know, go on and sent him off again. But he interrupted his time with the dignitaries. Everybody remember that. Here, I got some pictures for you here with President Kennedy with John Joe. Here he's, here he's hiding under the desk, you know. With his father. There's a physical picture for you and I of what it's like when we go to our father. Firstborn may be with his father at any time. Any time. Any time. 24 7. Any time. And in our ministry, that's one of the main things we end up doing is helping get people connected with their Father God, spending and learning how to spend time with Him, and to know Him. So, like you know, in the morning we get up, we start praying, whatever. Hi, Dad. How are you doing today? Fine, son. Uh, how's the universe running, Dad? Oh, it's ticking along pretty well. You know, planets going around, suns, galaxies roaming. Need any help today, Dad? Keeping it all going? Uh, I think that part's working pretty well, son. Um, tell you what, though, there's this, this uh, um, 
mother, who's got a couple of children, uh, husband's no longer there, um, she needs a word of encouragement. You want to go talk to her today? Yeah, that'd be great. Father and sons, let's go have some fun together and do some work. Fun work. We're not earning our way. We're having fun working with our daddy. You know? Let's look at that. As the fun. Here's Ephesians 2, 11. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are created to do good things, folks. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's our destiny. I talked, started out today talking about, let's get healed so there's nothing holding us back anymore from doing all that God's called us to do. Let's get our minds renewed and get the stinking thinking out of our minds so we know who we are and we know that we have unlimited resources and we just do what God's called us to do and help those that he, you know, points out to us, wants us to do. That's a part of this. Um, oops, I jumped over one. Nope. Here's a partnership with the Father. This is way back in Exodus, but it's a picture of today's uh, deliverance, casting out demons. Another way that we work with the Father. I'll deliver the inhabitants of the land in your hand. You will drive them out before you. Mark 16, Jesus says, believers will cast out demons. We didn't do that in Eastern Oregon. There were no demons in Eastern Oregon. <laughs> I wished I'd known. Life would have probably been a whole lot easier if we'd just done what we had the authority to do. Here's one in James. You know, pure and undefiled religion for God and the Father is this. Visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Keep one unspoiled from the world. There's good works to be done, folks, that God has prepared for us from before the foundation of the earth. And wherever you, in your, what I'll call your secular work, your earthly work, uh, you know, to earn a job or earn a paycheck so you can get by, pay the electric bill, etc. That's just your mission station, folks. That's just where your opportunities to bring the, further the kingdom of God are. God can provide your paycheck lots of different ways. That's no big deal for him. So anyway. Firstborn has the fun of working with his daddy. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So many privileges and rights. So let's just summarize it here. Have you figured out your identity now? The firstborn son of God and members of the church of the firstborn. By the way, you know the word church is in the Greek is ekklesia. That's just the gathering. It's not a building. I'm sure you've had that said to you many times. But we're the church. We're the ecclesia. We're the gathering. And we're the a whole gathering of firstborn sons. Okay? We belong to God. That sure is a big relief. That just takes care of a lot of things right there. Our inheritance is a double portion. Our inheritance includes healing from shame. We have uh, responsibility for the family. So let's, you know, take care of each other. That's part of it. We can be with our father at any time we want, and we have the fun of working with our daddy. Talk about a bunch of good things. Hallelujah. I love that. All right, let's pray. I want to pray for you for these things. You okay?
If you don't want them, don't receive them. But who would not want all that? True identity, true belonging, double portion, true responsibilities. Lord, I just thank you today for these people. I thank you for the revelation that you had me accumulate.